0: When the fires of 2020 have finally died down and the ashes have fallen to earth and smoke no longer clouds the air, one thing is certain. Uncertainty and lack of clarity is the pattern that the leaders of this fallen nation have inflicted on the population, either by design, gross incompetence, or both. With the election still over a month away, normalcy seems like a distant possibility, With events sure to escalate after the puppet government is selected and the masses need yet another distraction to keep them from noticing their country has been looted by the very people who claim to be standing on the front lines of saving it. Well I'm not a crook. I burned everything I've got.
1: We
2: are here to destroy the control of the industry of other people. I did not
1: trade
2: arms for hostage. It's been nine years. <laughs> <laughs> <And I'm on>. <laughs> <laughs> the, is the of the Twin the
3: Hi, welcome to the Myth of the 20th Century. I'm Hank Oslo. I'm not dead, very much alive, along with two of my co-hosts, Adam Smith and Hans Lander. As far as we know, Nick is alive and he might be joining us later.
4: Yes, Nick will be joining us later. He is cooking a sumptuous feast for himself right now. Those uh, burritos reheat real good. Yes, an an eight-course meal of uh, various food truck fusion food. So... We will uh, see him later when he's coming down from his uh, food coma. Does
3: anyone smell that? What the air? It's just kind of a kind of a smoky smell. I'm to see if anyone. Is that just me, or is that the the entire western half of the country?
4: You know what I smell? The uh, the phosphine apparently in the upper atmosphere of Venus that confirms signs of life. Did you guys see that story? I did. I choose
3: to uncritically accept this, and yeah.
1: uh,
4: you know,
3: people. People are like, anytime that there's any sort of extraterrestrial news, people are like, the great filter. What does this mean for the great filter? Right. Like We see, we see all of these. Uh, well, we see nothing. The Fermi paradox
4: over. is like pure Reddit. It's just it has no. It's just pop culture hubblewude that makes no
0: uh, sense. It makes sense. Yeah, why, I mean, why does it not make it is, sense? It
3: is interesting, like, whether, you know, it's, uh, it, it's interesting at what point, like the the Great Filter hypothesis is like, okay, well, there's all the raw ingredients everywhere. There's like, there's water, there's light, there's all this shit around, but we don't see any uh, extraterrestrial life forms. So it's unlikely that we were just the uh, sort of natural progression of inexorable natural forces so there must be like some truncating force that causes uh, the natural progression that arose uh, to us to not happen elsewhere so what is the great filter is it just that it's like really really hard to step from here's some organic molecules to okay you got bacteria now is it, uh, okay, well, you can have bacteria going for billions of years, but when are they going to get legs and shit? Is it, you know, how do you get language? Is it how do you not blow each other up once you've discovered nuclear weapons? Is it some terrifying memetic force? Is it, you know, Borg eating everything that's throwing out radio signals? What's what's killing everything or causing it not to be not to be born? And the more evidence that you see for... Uh, stuff kind of lower down the chain that implies that the filter is higher up the chain, and the higher up the chain it is, the likelier it is that we haven't hit it yet. So this the is more, the this more is very. Recent,
4: I guess the more recent resonant, or uh, resonant, pop culture thesis is coming out of those Chinese uh, sci-fi novels that everyone's obsessed with now. Yeah, um, and it's basically this. Forest. Yeah, the dark forest theory that that. Uh, the entire universe is actually seeded with civilizational life, and everyone's just hiding from one another for some reason. Um, I don't really buy that either. I think, really, the problem seems to mostly just be that the vast distances of space, which people do not really, I think, adequately understand or take into account, are part of the reason why no one has actually found anyone yet. It yeah. has nothing. Yeah. I don't think it has much to do with everyone's hiding from each other. I don't. I don't know why you would. I don't know why we're. I mean, we're beaming stuff out into space constantly. So why would other civilizations take the opposite well, approach? I, I've space?
0: I've never actually done the math on this, but I gotta imagine that receiving a radio transmission from little old uh, Earth with even like the biggest you know generator hooked up to it is. A micro fraction of what a star puts out, and given well, the distances, yeah, there, you're also really an diluting amount
4: that of electromagnetic that power. interference. Like there, there's all kinds of really. Not stuff. only that,
3: like we we see now, all of our radio output right now is compressed and increasingly encrypted. So it's literally designed to be indistinguishable from noise. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you can do things like spectrum analysis, but at that point, it's like, okay. I mean, if you posited that the galaxy is just really full of Earth-like civilizations, there's just thousands of these things floating around, it's not clear that they would ever find each other.
1: Yeah.
4: I think that's what's far more likely. I don't think that everyone's hiding, and I don't buy the the fermi paradox that are every civilization's actually dead or they all like crap out at some point that's not
0: that i don't seems know if that's the conclusion be, of it it's I mean, just
3: crapping out at 2020s levels uh, earth technology more or less uh, seems not implausible well yeah
0: but I, I think the fermi paradox is a question or an observation at least it's not really a conclusion it's more like if the vastness of space would seem to indicate that there should be intelligent life why haven't we heard anything? And it just sort of has an open-ended question. I, I don't quite think it hypothesizes as to what the likely answer is. Cause I, I think there really is no clear answer, but uh, we can hypothesize about it.
4: Well, the other thing that people don't seem to, I think one interesting theory I did see is <laughs> the Russians are already uh, claiming that this, this life on Venus is technically theirs, given that they're the only ones who ever went to the planet.
3: Uh, uh, that's fair. They can yeah, have Venus and we can them, have the moon. will let them have it. That's, that's a pretty fair trade. <laughs> Venus is bigger, but it's really far away.
4: Apparently. Um, and Venus is actually the closest planet to Earth, interestingly enough. Venus, from what I've read, may have been a very different place a long time ago. There's the the uh, the ever-interesting runaway greenhouse theory for Venus. Now, that's often used as some kind of, like pro climate change prevention propaganda like oh if we don't we don't take down those coal fire plants we're going to be venus in 10 years how how, how do
0: you have a runaway effect that's part i never understood Well,
4: no one really has ever fully explained it but that's like the most common answer you hear about well what the fuck happened to venus i think what clearly happened to venus is that it's just too close to the sun and that's part of the reason i
0: think it's hotter than mercury if I'm not mistaken, which is even closer, but it, it's just because well, of the. It, like when you greenhouse talk about the temperature
3: argument. of a planet, there is no one temperature of a planet. Sure, there's the cool average. parts in the yeah. upper atmosphere of Venus, and we know that there's weird stuff floating around in the upper atmosphere of the Earth. So, I mean, it it's still totally plausible that there is some cloud of something that looks like bacteria floating around somewhere, uh, somewhere on the. Uh, The shadowy side of Venus.
4: I guess the other thing to consider really quickly is, well, you know, the Russians are kind of saying it's theirs, I think somewhat jokingly, but knowing them, probably not jokingly. And on top of that, what, the one interesting theory I've seen is that apparently the old Soviet craft that they used to send out into the cosmos, they have this practice of not sterilizing any of their surfaces or any Uh, of their components. That would do it. And so, someone speculated that it's very possible that the Soviets, openly admitting that they did not were not interested in sterilization methods, going to and coming back, uh, could have accidentally seeded the upper atmosphere with life. That that is totally possible. I mean, frankly, even
3: if you do sterilize it, like it's sitting there on the launch pad collecting dust and then it's going through a dusty atmosphere. There's really only so much you can do. You're going to collect something. Like it's not going to be an operating room that's flying through the air at 4,000 miles an hour when it uh, leaves the
0: atmosphere. I I didn't read this article, but how did they even offer evidence that this, uh, this planet has life? I mean... Is there a satellite or probe that went
4: out? they're making a jump. So basically, I think it was at MIT, they're doing planetary analysis, and they, for a long time, uh, they had never bothered to look at Venus or Mercury because the understanding was that Venus and Mercury are uh, outside of the Goldilocks zone, and that Venus in particular, from what they understood uh, in previous analyses, was basically a giant rock with a massive toxic cloud always hanging around the planet and that it was, you know, it had like something like 90% acidity or something like that. And most life on earth, even the most extreme can only survive at 5%. So the understanding was that, okay, Mercury is way too close to do anything with. Uh, Venus is covered in giant toxic fume uh, and Mars has no atmosphere, so Earth, you know, basically has the Goldilocks zone effect and it still has its magnetosphere, and therefore you get the possibilities of life. Now, I think what they're implying is that they detected phosphine in the upper, upper, upper atmosphere, where they believe there is less acidity and it's not as impacted as uh, as the rest of the atmosphere of Venus. Now this brings into question what exactly is the surface of Venus like in that you know something on the surface itself might be giving off a lot of acidity it could be the metallic or rock composition of of the surface of the planet that's actually doing that it's not necessarily the 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 the, the gas cloud over Venus is really the result of the planet being heated yeah, no like one's, what, no one's what is really clear on phosphine
0: exactly and how is it related to life? Um, well, phosphorus, so I mean. I don't...
4: Okay, so I now again, the 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 problem here is that we're evaluating this from mm. how physics works on earth and how chem, you know, chemical physics works on earth. And we're basically saying, okay, on earth Phosphine can really only be generated two ways. Through uh, It's produced by life, effectively, bacterial life, or you can produce it artificially with a lab. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the same set of standards on a place like Venus, which is a radically different environment. We don't really know exactly what the surface of Venus is totally like. The Soviet analyses, and I think pictures of it, don't really reveal much. It looks like Utah, so you don't really know anything about it from where they landed, Um, and most of their probes that they sent were sent in the 1970s and used very um, uh, unspectacular technology even at the time, but certainly by today's standards. So their analyses were not great. I think um, like the photos that came back, apparently, the camera like was fucked up on landing, and so they didn't really get great photos out of there. Whatever. But no one really understands what Venus is really like, what's on the surface. It could be anything. And what's generating the toxic fumes. Because the toxic fumes aren't coming from nowhere. It's not like they just appear. Something on the surface is probably giving off toxic fumes that are creating the perpetual gas around the planet. And they believe that if you look at the way that phosphine is generated on earth there's only two real major circumstances where that happens and there you know if you apply that same model to venus okay if you detect phosphine in the air that means you have maybe a sign of life now of course there is the other theory that there's an alien lab on venus when you're... This is basically a coin toss.
0: So. <laughs> was this like a spectro-chromatography or something where they In just pointed mind, a telescope what, at the thing? I don't
4: thing know what and... method... I can't remember what method they used. I saw... The one scientist who, I think, did the work at MIT had a very thick European accent. Okay. So kind of hard to understand what he was saying. Um, Interesting. But what on whatever level they did this analysis... Now, obviously, there's probably going to be more attention given to this because, again... Everyone had ruled Venus out for years, uh, probably a century, as being a place that you could harbor life, simply because the initial analysis of the planet uh, was, "Oh, this planet is dead. Nothing can live there. It's super toxic. It, it can get very hot. Like you know, nothing can survive that level of acidity." Um, so therefore, we shouldn't even bother looking. We should look at moons of Saturn and Jupiter. We should look at potentially. Pluto, we should look at Mars we should look elsewhere, we shouldn't bother with uh, the two closer planets to the sun we
3: should build a gigantic shade
4: okay. <laughs> we should move
3: Venus further away we should actually turn it into uh, what's the uh, uh, what's the, the colloquial name for like the planet X uh, it's like hypothesized
4: Nibiru Nibiru
3: Yes, Nibiru. Yes. we should move it exactly opposite Earth's orbit around the sun. Right. Like basically the same size, and you know, I assume at that point it would end up being comfy.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I saw that, and I was immediately thinking of uh, the wildfires as well. Like, oh, you know, I'm sure that now that the wildfires are going on, we're going to hear. Well, you know, speaking of Venus, there's the greenhouse gas effect Mm -hmm. and. Therefore, you need to give away your car and, uh, go and do a FEMA camp because you cause yeah. well, you have to work in the lithium mines, right? I don't
0: speaking know guys, this, this year is just, uh, it's like how speaking many more psyops
4: are they going to lay on? <laughs> well, speaking of wildfires, um, uh, looks like the west coast of the country is being intentionally lit on fire. Uh, is that sort of settled science now that it's all just arson? I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, know
0: about settled, but I mean there are there's, a, there's anecdotal evidence for it.
3: it there, it's not just anecdotal. I mean, there's like if you say there is no arson going on, I mean that's just no, that's disproven by video footage. To say nothing of. Like video footage, arrest records, to say nothing of eyewitness accounts. I
0: I think arson has contributed. This is more than what it's been like in most years. And given the rioting that's been going on in the West Coast uh, cities and the activities of the rioters burning things. Uh, it it doesn't seem like a huge leap to assume that they're doing some of this, but also in other years, you know, lightning does this stuff. Carelessness from campers, Um, so I think it's all just added together.
3: Does lightning have a particular attraction to Interstate Five? Oh no, that's I'm where not, all the fires no, seem no, to no. be. I'm, uh, I'm not attributing lightning
0: at. to that. I I think it's. um, I know you're being glib, but yeah. um, I'm, I'm
3: being I'm being facetious. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, if we want to really talk about conspiracy theories, I mean, some people would even look to uh, the High Altitude Research Project, HARP.
3: Oh, actually, yes, I have, I have fresh content on this. Good. Um, so it was, uh, uh, <clears throat> it was recently uh, established um, by the, uh, I forget what the, the acronym is, but it's uh, the uh, Near Solar Observatory. It's uh, a satellite that uh, floats several uh, million miles from the earth and absorbs or observes uh, solar activity. And it turns out uh, that one can fairly reliably uh, correlate a one day uh, lead cycle between uh, particular patterns of solar activity and earthquakes uh, on the earth. Uh, And, this is interesting because the hypothesized mechanism of action is that uh, the solar activity is inducing some uh, form of electromagnetic field, or not some form of, like this isn't, it's like, is inducing an electromagnetic field uh, that's having some sort of weird piezoelectric uh, effect um, on uh, fault lines. So, the same way that um, if you take You know, if you had an electromagnetic pulse, it would cause everybody's speakers to blow out. Uh, There could be a mild uh, sort of piezoelectric effect of some unknown mechanism that's causing faults to be disrupted and to go over the tipping points to where they exhibit earthquake behavior. It's a pretty cool uh, paper. Um, I recommend you look it up. And what's interesting is... So if the hypothesized mechanism of action is that uh, the sun is inducing uh, magnetic fields, electromagnetic fields uh, in the Earth's crust, and you happen to have a very large uh, radio antenna that was also capable of inducing the same sorts of fields in a more concentrated fashion because it's explicitly designed to transmit through uh, the Earth's uh, crust and core in order to communicate with uh, deep-sea submarines. I don't know, man. Like, it it kind of sounds like that might be able to have a similar effect.
0: Well, so, piezoelectricity, I've only heard that in the context of, like, uh, your iPhone or something, but... Have, have I been mispronouncing it this uh, whole time? Oh, I have, you know, I, I could be completely wrong, but uh, what you just said, basically, is according to the... Uh, encyclopedia that's free on the internet. Uh, it's an electric charge that accumulates uh, based on mechanical stress. And so it sounds like you're talking about the opposite, though. It's sort of like an electric effect creating a mechanical stress as a result. Um, is that what you're saying?
3: Yeah. I mean, it, my understanding is that it, it works sort of both directions. So um, like you can create a current by um, vibrating quartz or vice versa. You can yeah. use an electrical current to vibrate quartz. That's how uh, wristwatches work.
0: Yeah. Well, the the harp system, which is admitted to exist and there's photographs and everything, is claimed to be a government project for, I think, weather uh, research or something like that. Uh, But it it was built during the Cold War in Alaska. uh, And it coincided with a Soviet project of similar magnitude uh, and uh, style. And the conspiracy theory is that it's not just for research, it's actually for inducing weather effects. It's sort of like what you're just saying. It's like, it goes both ways. Uh, And with the Lightning strikes in California, which I had alluded to actually a few shows ago, being uh, something like twenty thousand, like at the same time, um, about a month ago or so. It, it I I don't have the charts in front of me if that's a statistically significant jump, but it just seemed like a huge number to me, and the, uh, the implications of controlling the weather are pretty enormous, obviously, and it's not proof that this is something that's real. But you, can, you could extrapolate from the assumption that it's real of how wickedly useful that would be in a warfare setting, a psychological warfare setting at the very least. Uh, and it, of course, it's denied by the uh, US government, but that's, uh, that's not the first time they've denied something that they later had to admit that is actually true uh, later on when they declassify things and whatnot. So you never really know, uh, but I think the physics of it are sort of where you kind of can draw more concrete conclusions. Is it possible? I think it's probably possible, and if it's probably possible, they're probably working on it because, again, the usefulness of this is incredible. And it doesn't always seem to just be...
4: I don't know. You know, I think harp is a very under-discussed topic... Uh, nominally because there's not much that gets released about harp didn't, didn't wasn't it claimed for a while it was actually shut down I, I remember there was there were claims going around that it technically shut down and
0: oh probably the
4: early 2000s but then there were there seemed to be some evidence that that wasn't totally accurate and uh, like the so the status of harp does not seem clear to me and maybe i'm, I'm just misremembering um but harp in of itself even if that body was shut down, I don't understand why the U.S. government wouldn't just continue the research or continue those activities in other organizations. Um, you know, you mentioned lightning strikes. Actually, I looked this up. So there was a interesting couple interesting kind of like pieces of literature that I was able to find on history of wildfires, particularly in California, although this, this sort of applies to the rest of the West Coast, uh, California in particular. Um, and so this one uh, presentation that was given to the California Coastal Commission in 1995 by uh, Jack Ainsworth and Troy Allen Doss, you uh, not going to find a lot of Californians with names like Ainsworth or Doss anymore. Um, but they noted, first of all, that there's about a thousand, I'm sorry, uh, lightning strikes the Earth at an average of a 100 times a second, totaling over 3 billion strikes a year. And that seems to be an estimation made on the current data at the time, although, in their opinion, that obviously fluctuates with all kinds of different weather phenomena over the history of the planet. Now, what they do go into is that fires... Uh, are actually a pretty natural, historically a very natural part of the California wilderness. If you've ever been out in the California wilderness, for our our listeners here, um, it's very obvious that uh, places like Mount Baldy, for example, the, the area around it, and you go to Sequoia National Park, these are clearly areas that have been sculpted by general, you know, deep generations of, of fire patterns that have created a certain breed of trees that can survive most kinds of wildfires. You can uh, can survive most kinds of falling embers. There's uh, all kinds of documented species of plants in California that don't necessarily even grow properly without wildfires. Uh, wildfires have made much of the California soil actually very rich in certain parts. Uh, There's huge levels of ash and silt deposit that go back tens of thousands of years from the end from multiple ice ages and multiple cataclysmic flooding. Um, I guess a layman introduction to that would be um, Joe Rogan did a really interesting show four or five years ago with Graham Hancock, who's kind of a a loon, but interesting, and another guy whose name escapes me. Um, he's more of a, like a real field geologist and they documented evidence of cataclysmic floods hitting the West coast, particularly Oregon and Washington, um, 10, 12,000 years ago that made all these massive silt deposits and have allowed for the forest growth and, and so forth. Um, but these guys, for example, Ainsworth and Doss, they kind of note that. There's a clear history of fire in the landscape that they could document in the 90s, going back at least 30,000 years. Um, And some of it, they actually believe, some of the more intense stuff had to have been human activity. Now, like when the Spanish explorers arrived in that part of North America, they noted very quickly that it appeared as though the natives were using fire quite uh, prodigiously for various environmental reasons. Um, they would create very intense blazes and sometimes destroy thousands of acres for uh, reasons that seemed very esoteric to the Spanish explorers. Um, some of them appeared to be ritualistic, some of them appeared to be agricultural related, some of them might have you might classify as lysinkoist today. Um, it's not clear what uh, beneficiary effect that they seem to have, but the natives thought that they were useful for some reason, um, but this this is clearly a part. You know that this like flood and fire aspect of the West Coast has been a huge part of its natural history for a long time.
3: And I swear, if you walk up and down the various national parks, there's like plaques to yes. this effect, just yep. every fucking hundred feet.
4: So here's an here's another article. This is from Science Direct. Um, prehistoric fire area and emissions from California's forests, woodlands, shrublands, and grasslands. Uh, this is written in 2007 uh, by Scott Stevens, Robert E. Martin, Nicholas Clinton. And let me scroll to the key passage here. Uh, our estimates of Californian prehistoric fire area are between 1.8 and 4.8 million hectares a year, which resulted in 4.5 to 12% of the state's lands burning annually. So this is in the deep ecological history of California. From what they this is, you know, um, 12 years after that study and, the, and there's more recent science going into the mid 2000s on charcoal analysis, soil analysis, core samples, rock analysis, that basically solidify this theory that uh, California is a place that has been sculpted by fire uh, almost entirely. And North America appears to be a continent in particular that has been sculpted by intense geological pressures, really intense ice ages, and very intense periods of drought and wildfire. Um, that just seems to be the natural cycle of North America, and this region of North America in particular. And they go on to write, "If one considers that only three quarters of the Californian of California's lands were taken into account in this analysis, then the figures represent six to sixteen percent of the area studied burning annually." Uh, so they basically feel as though, um, oh. And, Let me go to this other passage. Regardless of the possible errors in this study, we have to conclude that prehistorically a large amount of California burned every year. From 1950 to 1999, the average annual area burned by wildfire in all vegetation types in California was approximately 102,000 hectares a year. This amounts to 5.6% what would have burned in a similar period of time during the prehistoric area, Land use practices from 1950 to 1999 have converted relatively large areas of grassland and woodlands to other land uses, but even with these changes the annual area burning in California from 1950 to 99 is very small when compared to the prehistoric period. Higher amounts of management ignited prescribed burning would be desirable in California, but other management methods that incorporate fire need to be developed to increase the amount of burning. Now, there's a third piece of analysis here, and it's sort of similar. This was released in 2012, Long-Term Perspectives on Wildfire in Western USA. Understanding the causes and consequences of wildfires and forests of the Western United States requires integrated information about fire and human activity on multiple temporal scales. We use sedimentary charcoal accumulation rates to construct long-term variations in fire during the past 3,000 years in the American West and compare this to the record to independent fire history data. There has been a slight decline in burning over the past 3,000 years with the lowest levels attained during the 20th century and during the little ice age from 1400 to 1700 AD. Prominent peaks and forest fires occurred during the medieval climate anomaly from 950 to 1250 and during the 1800s. Analysis of climate reconstructions beginning from 500 AD and population data show that temperature and drought predict changes in biomass burning up to the late 1800s. Since the late 1800s, human activities and the ecological effects of recent high fire activity caused a large, abrupt decline in burning similar to the fire decline noted in the Little Ice Age. Consequently, there is now a forest fire deficit in the western United States, attributable to the combined effects of human activities, ecological and climate changes. So... The picture you're starting to see here, A, in this all this nonsense about we need to, like, kill off half the population or whatever to prevent California forests from burning, is clearly not concordant with the long history of California and the West Coast in general. This is an area designed to burn, effectively. That's how it works. Um, now, you can make some argument that there is a level of incompetence on the part of these state governments, particularly California and the federal government who own quite a bit of land in the three west coast states, Um, and that they don't adequately do forest management. There's been a lot of legislation starting in the 70s that have made controlled burns and land clearing and environmental management and logging more difficult, and that certainly contributes to part of the problem. There's also been a big uh, fauna die off, mega fauna die off. So there's not as many animals out there eating the shrubbery, eating the underbrush, but clearly you're getting a picture here. I think that a, the biggest cause of fires generally is actually lightning strikes. There's so many a year. And there was recently a huge surge in lightning strikes in California that, um, happened before the recent round of fires, but was noted as being a probable possible cause Um, But generally, the area burns much, much less than it used to. So you can imagine California in the prehistoric area, just imagine what it would have been like to be on the West Coast in that time when millions upon millions upon millions of hectares of land burn up annually, sort of out of totally out of control, burn right to the sea sometimes and grow back very quickly. So it would have been quite an experience, I think, to see sort of absolute hellfire everywhere in the landscape and then you know see it mostly repaired 10, 15 years, 20 years later.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it is sort of uh, obvious if you actually think about it that these fires happen every year and absent yeah. a forest service to fight them, they would grow. And obviously the when humans arrived in California, there were forests. And so it, it, it just sort of begs the question. It's like, well, are we actually doing anything <laughs> with all of this firefighting? I mean, look, I, I'm not going to say, like, get rid of firefighting because you don't want your house and your property to get uh, consumed. But the, um, the management Maybe of the forest... Maybe we
3: their house and property to be consumed. What'd you say? I mean, I can think of people in california where you know their property their housing maybe it could be consumed Like <laughs> yeah.
4: we're obviously we're obviously kidding but fire for the fire god i mean I, I i agree i think adam's point is right i mean and part of the problem too is that these fires seem worse than they really are due to the media hysteria because very unfortunately people have passed away people have died and now, some of that is obviously attributable to a company called PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, um, a relatively psychopathic entity. Oh, God, that-
2: don't get me started. Can you guys hear me? Oh, my God. Oh, uh,
4: it's Nick Mason, everyone.
2: Oh, no. How-, how are you guys doing? Sorry I'm late. How are the ribs, intu- Nick? Uh, we- I had ribs, actually, and they were good. Oh, okay. Do you have a rib or was it a rib? No, I was. this is rips bro what I do you mean, mean rip? is that even a thing anymore do they still do the rip? I, don't I don't think think so.
3: it's based on yeah. commodity prices to bring it back <laughs> and the pork is cheap <laughs> <laughs> <true>. right right
4: <laughs> the, when,
0: when the pork food <laughs> when the so price when the price lines converge <laughs> they pick the cheap option <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it's, so it's a I
3: straight was, commodity place Hans was making
0: brilliant. was making a point Please i was continue. trying to make
4: a point that basically PG and e which is obviously somewhat attributable for the recent last few years of wildfires and uh, for those who aren't aware of the history of PG and E, so but were it's, they?
0: I think that's somewhat debatable. But
4: well, they are a psychopathic me. entity that
0: appears to kill
4: large amounts of Californians every ten years. Um, these are the same people. <laughs> Who showed up in the Aaron Brockovich film, if you guys don't remember? uh, I think they're just
0: negligent. I don't know if they're psychopaths. They poisoned
4: an entire town. They blew up an entire neighborhood. When you're a a monopolist, they're they're tasked with kind of an impossible
2: task, which is the the management of California's uh, gas and electric. I mean, it's. Well, it's, a, it's kind of impossible. a no-win scenario. Yeah, they were forced to no dump all their
0: money scenario, into renewables, and they couldn't put it into maintenance. I mean, there, there's a lot of excuses you okay. can make. It,
4: and, it, it is a no-win scenario, but I will point you to the numerous corruption scandals and uh, indictments that have been handed down to people at PG&E. It's 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 a terrible thing. So oh no doubt. The, the point the point I was trying to make is. Unfortunately, people have died in these wildfires. I'm not trying to minimize that. And unfortunately, a lot of good people out in the rural three West Coast states have lost probably. Yeah, really
3: this and intra California, yeah. intra Oregon. Like we make fun of Californians, but yes. what we're making fun of is people in a very specific coastal band. Yes, and the vast majority of the state, in terms of area, are you know, not to put too fine of a point on it, our guys are potentially our guys. So, like if so you in, if in, you in, just drive east, you'll yeah. see Trump signs a plenty as soon as you uh, you hit particular county lines. Dude, it's everywhere
2: like, north of like everywhere in fucking uh, up like one and up up the coast, I, I won't. Basically, like Ukiah and up was solid Ron Paul country back yeah. in the
3: day and like the negligence with Paul which country. the state governments like it, like arresting people for arson and then releasing them like that's that's incitement that, so, that's encouragement of people to essentially ethnically cleanse their political enemies from the eastern half of these states
2: so I've heard some stories I have friends still in the uh, greater Portland area and Uh, etc and i have heard that basically they're you know secondhand to me accounts where people basically were witnessing these actors uh setting fires to like their neighbor's barn or something like this and the fbi basically just denying that this was happening
4: oh yeah the
2: fbi is saying there's
4: there's no evidence of a of a of a conspiracy on the part of extremists to set fires and i think oregon yeah, which is a nice like arrested. way of
3: copy it because it's yeah. like well nobody's denying that there's arson it's just like we dispute your political connotations right. we're not going to say that like we disagree about exactly what political connotations there are here we're just going to say no nah, that's wrong Somehow, in some ill-defined way. I They'll think... never actually sack up and say, like, yeah, there's a shit ton of arson, but we think it's all crazy people, every single one. Right. And not just, like, g- not just, you know, crazy people, crazy people, where, like, you know, you hire those people and you give them bus tickets. But, you know, generic, schizoid, non-functional people that sort of drift around setting fires. Well, Maybe yeah, when you can those guys. consider They're the dynamics...
2: Of what's happening in portland i mean they've imported a bunch of these uh you know violent uh, leftist agitators from california and elsewhere they've you know put up a bus ticket or whatever to send them there and maybe it's no longer that fun to like mattresses on fire on like burnside or whatever it is they're doing like well fucking look at kenosha you pick yeah. three random people,
3: and it turns out they're random child molesters and felons from
4: all over the fucking country. Yeah, actually, the one of the chief streamers, I guess we're getting a little off topic, but one of the chief streamers I saw in Kenosha was some bitch from Indiana it was like socialist medic or something like that. Yeah, they yeah. love LARPing as much. She medics. was some. Um, she's like she claims to be. I think a former Navy Navy corpsman or Navy medic. Who knows if that's accurate? But she claimed that she was from Indiana, and it's like you drove all the way to Kenosha, Wisconsin, from Indiana to like stir shit up. I mean, if this isn't clear evidence of a legit ira style network at play i don't know what
2: else is folks. well to be fair they did unfortunately save that one jew's arm <clears throat> so yeah. i guess you know somebody knows what to do with the tourniquet but did
4: you see him he was like i'm in pain every day or he was like, oh d- did you not see the footage of him like nearly running up to cap the 17 year old gangland style it's like good god we're supposed to feel bad for this guy Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's like
3: beggars can't be choosers, right? When you're flush with cash, because you're, you know, the the amount of money being raised to defeat Orange Man under all ages, both political and metapolitical, is uh, and post political for that matter, is so enormous that they're having problems spending it all. You've got a bunch of people that are unemployed. You have a constant stream of completely dysfunctional felons being released from prison uh, because of coronavirus. Like, it's got all of the ingredients of a perfect storm of just cheap human capital lying around. Like I mean, I've talked before about a strategic asshole reserve. It's the people that you keep on retainer in case you need something bad to happen. And it's clear at this point that it is desirable to a large faction of the political elite of this country that a bunch of bad shit happen, so they're yeah. cashing in those chips. Like, there's a reason why things are sucking, and it's not just that things suck; they are being made to suck. Well, going back, I, I
2: past- this isn't a piece of evidence, but I will, I will say. That years ago, I had a an anarchist actually talk to me about this exact a left wing anarchist uh, tell me about uh, a strategy of tension whereby you start wildfires, and that it is a very easy thing to do on the cheap, easy to get away with too, especially if you do in a wilderness area and you get out. Like it, it is not hard to do. I, I'm not saying like it's not my hypothesis that this is just well, well, like did
0: did they get to what their end game is because that's really. I, I think that's the big question right now. It's like I think they're personally. I think the the intention is to create a chaotic environment to destabilize the power structure to then well, that's bring that's in the, the replacement regime to normalize around. That's why. Yeah, theory. I mean,
3: when you have the when you have ten percent of the population of Oregon displaced. And to a close approximation, that's 100% okay, Oregon, em- for the enemy record. demographics
2: as far as <laughs> it's, they're concerned. It's, Oregon. it's not Oregon. No. You know, I'm not from there, bro. Like, okay. Yeah, it's Oregon. Did, did Oregon. you say Oregon?
0: Oregon?
2: You did.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You know, okay. that's, that's <laughs> I mean, why with Midwestern, we like our succinct <laughs> vowels. Of the
0: it's tradition. not like Wobegon. are <laughs> uh, going out to
4: uh, Oregon, eh? You know? Yeah, essentially. Essentially. Yeah, I went out there to uh, do the beaver hunting.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, the point is, like, there's all these cases of people being caught. So, I mean, selection effects being what they are, you are catching people that are clearly strung out on drugs, people that are just, like, stopping by the side of the road to f- throw, like, flaming McDonald's wrappers and shit. <laughs> like, it's any crushed. anybody with a modicum of of... Caution, or discretion, or reasoned ill will uh, seems to be slipping through the cracks. So, I don't find it that difficult to believe that this problem is massively larger than what you can infer based on the strictly based on the first order visible evidence, which is compelling
4: enough as is. So, I I do want to get back to the wildfires on that point because I think Adam is kind of asking, what exactly is the point of this, and I don't know what exactly the point of this is, but I can see how it's being framed. So going back to what I was saying about how the media is like really making this into a much larger crisis than it is, they do this every year, where instead of blaming arsonists, blaming PG&E, blaming incompetence, blaming the state's lack of funding or care for wildlife management, they default... Trump is... This Donald climate Trump. change, well, they default back to the climate change phenomena. And first of all, um, I think it was uh, Halifax Shadow Hal, uh, great guy, You should all follow him. He's really smart. Um, but he made this point. That he made this point that um, the pivot seems to be politically now. Well, uh, we have Joe Biden, who's clearly um, sclerotic and senile uh, playing Despacito for a room of three people.
0: Did did you Uh, see uh, Rogan uh, challenged uh, uh, Biden and Trump to a debate? Trump accepted. uh, and, And the money is basically Biden will not be allowed to accept.
4: Well, okay. And then we have riots, which everyone hates. So now we're transitioning to not only is there a call for racial justice, but there's really a call for mother earth for this Gaia phenomenon. And I think Hal was kind of pointing out that a lot of people are stupid enough to fall for this basic trick because they get very uncomfortable looking at these photos of riots. But they get less uncomfortable looking at photos of wildfires. And they say to themselves, well, that's the next great crusade that I can get behind is, is the wildfire crusade. Now, like as Hank was saying, most of the people being affected by wildfires are people that the, media, the kinds of people in the media hate. They hate these people, and the state governments of these states hate these people. There was the uh, the um, the very very saddening dam phenomenon. Hank, do you remember which uh, what the name of the dam was? Uh, I think it was twenty. The,
3: the Oro, Dam
4: was. Yeah, that right? something like yeah. that. There was a there was a dam that was going to fail in inland California Oroville. In the county. The Oroville. Oroville dam. in a county that went seventy five percent red, or generally goes like 75% red, and it's basically a rural, uh, equestrian, farming, resource extraction kind of economy out there. And uh, the California state government had, a, this is the scandal, had apparently been ignoring warnings and funding um, from various engineers for over a decade about the problem. Uh, certainly the previous governor of that state, Jerry Brown, uh, had ignored it and didn't really seem to care. To the point where the dam nearly collapsed and they had to do this uh, mass evacuation of hundreds of thousands of people in like a 24-hour period because there was a real indication that the entire valley would flood out and everyone would die. Um, There have been
0: similar accusations uh, that the Sacramento uh, state government is not releasing COVID funds to those same rural areas. Yeah. Uh, I I don't believe that this COVID thing is real, but – uh, be that as it may the money is pretty easy to uh measure and quantify and that that i believe that, that they're okay willing. so yeah.
2: i i i probably I, I live in the pacific northwest i've I mentioned this before really but, Oregon? do you uh i i'm not gonna say <laughs> where but i i will i will say and i have mentioned that i have in the past lived in oregon various places in oregon but uh My take on this generally, and I mentioned this when we were talking with James Lafon not too long ago, it's like, okay, well, if the, if, you know, everything that you see coming down from the system is just a total fucking jihad against normal working people. And you had this situation where everybody's businesses get, you know, just fucking reamed up the ass. Like you're just wrecked. And then all of a sudden, like, if you have, happen to be in one of these urban areas you know Portland or Seattle uh, yeah maybe your business in addition to being you know screwed over by plague politics gets a molotov through the storefront you know that's bad enough and now so way I look at what's going on and I can barely like see or breathe right now you know and I am outside of the Pacific Northwest it looks like the kind of fog that you'd see in the Olympic Peninsula but it, it is not fog and my attitude is just generally like, well, people started to tune out from these, you know, uh, street theater happenings going on in Portland and Seattle. So now how do we get the rest of these people to uh, realize that we are, by the way, citizen in a state of perpetual crisis? Right. You know, and it's like now you can't escape it. I mean, I don't know to what extent these things are connected or or uh, coordinated but i do know that what you're seeing is now finally there is no way out like whatever's been going on here in 2020 in the pacific northwest it is the epicenter of the worst of 2020 you literally
0: can't run to the hills or into the forest because it's on fire
2: because okay like people who were sitting at least somewhat comfortable you know on their homesteads or whatever in more rural parts of the pacific northwest now you're fucked too guy like you might be burned out your entire you know livelihood might be burned out and it's not to say that like definitely these people are to blame but why not blame them because fuck these people
4: well i think that the the, the wider issue ultimately seems to be like what you're saying kind of keeping people in this perpetual state of crisis right the state of fear and i it's not, it's not all that clear to me how well this is going to play in the rest of the country. Now, for for those of our listeners who do not live, uh, I guess west of the Rocky Mountains, the notion of a wildfire probably, or you know, rampant wildfires every year, probably seems pretty strange. It's probably like it's happen. like
0: hurricanes. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really analogy. happen
4: to you too often. So. It must be somewhat jarring from your perspective to see, ah, the next crusade is the the wildfire problem. And if you if you live in like Vermont, when was the last time there was a massive forest fire that endangered thousands of people? Does well, that have-
3: that's why. I mean, they never frame it in terms of this is a wildfire problem. They it's say oh, this change. is this is another example of the need for climate justice. Right. Which means exactly whatever anyone wants it to mean, it's which means I need to buy
2: or another fucking plane,
3: you're right. yeah. I mean, if you're yeah. if you're like some black, then it means, oh, they the air conditioning don't work so good. So I'm angry at my landlord. If you're in uh, coastal uh, New England, it means, well, we're gonna have to build a seawall. If you're in the West, it means wildfire. Is it? It's whatever they want it to mean. It's only good things, only happiness and puppies.
2: My grandmother is 91 years old. She lives in Northern California, and they were threatening to turn off her fucking power.
1: Yeah. Over this,
2: like, they were basically threatening to kill my grandmother. Okay. Like these motherfuckers. Like, do not forget, do not forgive. Like these people, their day will fucking come
4: so i think when you look at california and the the power generation problem the west coast uh again to the rest of the country i feel like this must seem like a very peculiar issue that it doesn't really resonate um there is a general philosophy in the state of california in particular that is um bizarre First of all, the state has maybe the largest state population in the country. Is that it's a 40 million document? Yeah, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, I think on, Texas on it. is number and then two. If you, if you consider any given day, there's before COVID at least, there were probably lots of transients and people, foreign workers, visa holders, tourists, travelers. So you can maybe assume priority
2: citizens.
4: Right. Right. So that you can assume that on in some days in California, maybe there's 50, 60 million people in the state. Now, if you if you look at like Victor Davis Hanson, um, whatever your problems with him, he's actually he's a very accomplished Californian historian. Has kind of talked about this problem in that at some time in the 1950s and 60s, basically the state infrastructure stopped scaling
2: up adequately. You mean back when he was a communist, a literal communist? Yeah. Was Victor Davis Hanson ever a communist? Yeah.
4: Are we
0: talking Uh, about the same guy? I mean, I think we're talking about the
2: same guy. Pretty sure uh, if he was not a communist, his parents were.
0: I don't. No, he grew up in the Central Valley in like a farming town.
4: You're thinking of all the other (laughs) neocons. But uh, at, at any level, like he's basically talked about how sometime in the 50s and 60s, the infrastructure stopped scaling up properly. And the state population since then has more than doubled. So you're effectively working with a very, very bad scenario in which you have a very capped state infrastructure model for water delivery systems, power generation, filtration, and so forth. And you're uh, really... St- stretching the limits of your civic capacity. Now part of the problem with energy generation is California has taken a very, very antagonistic approach to coal, to uh,
0: basically nuclear, to much of the oil and gas There's not much coal in California, but they do have oil, they do have – yes, nuclear is possible too.
3: The U.S. in general, for economic reasons, has been moving away from coal, not just regulatory, but natural gas has a lot of advantages because you can spin up and spin down those turbines in order to deal with yeah. uh, demand changes, which in some place that has as wide uh, temperature swings as some place like you know, San Jose in certain times of the year. Uh, where like the air conditioning all kind of comes on at once throughout the entire right. city. Uh, natural gas is kind of a consensus American uh, energy source. Um, if you're, well, if you're uh, looking to build a new, new power plant, chances are it's going to be natural gas.
4: My point, my point, and I was going to get to the natural gas and, and the petroleum industry in general in California has collapsed. If you know anyone in the California central Valley, Kern County, being maybe the hotspot of this, um, they can tell you that uh, most of the California oil industry has been on a steep decline. Much of their infrastructure has been shut down or moved. A lot of the chem- local, localized chemical manufacturers, mud engineers, all the sort of pieces of that infrastructure have left or are doing other things now. So the state really uh, brought up coal only because that is one source of power. But the state generally is slowly trying to erode most sources of large-scale power production and power consumption. There is still some offshore oil drilling off of California, but there is there have been rumors for years that the California state government wants to get rid of that. I
0: thought Diane Feinstein got rid of that. There's
4: there's some level of it going on off the west coast, maybe, but. I it's it's being scaled down, effectively. Now, the problem is, again, the California state population, although it's been declining for a few years, still massive. And they're slowly destroying their power capacity. So, for example, there was like a 13 megawatt deficit or something like that, uh, basically, going on between the amount of power attempted to be consumed versus the amount of power generated by this
0: internally within the state – they import it from Oregon, yeah, I believe, so when they least, run out because the hydropower is, is quite uh, plentiful right. in Oregon.
4: And I, So I think to the rest of the country, this must seem like a very odd phenomena because most of the country actually has – or certain regions of this country have energy surpluses year over year and generate quite a bit of power. Um, there's also regions of the country that are much more tolerant of the utilization of petroleum, utilization of uh, certainly coal – Utilization of pretty much anything nuclear, especially in places like New England. Now, again, the problem with California is that throughout the last 60, 70 years of its history, it's made life increasingly difficult for people. As more people move in, it's very paradoxical. And so I'm not really sure if, again— I think Hank's right. They're not going to be able to reflect these problems onto the rest of the country because much of the rest of the country must, my opinion, is not really clear on why this is happening in California. It doesn't really seem to get it. But they will frame it differently wherever you are as part of this sort of uh, economic warfare, I think, as as Nick would put it. it. It's about scaring you and keeping you in a state of fear one way or another, if you're in Florida, you're all going to be living in houseboats. And if you're in the Midwest, a tornado is going to destroy everything in sight. You know, um, ultimately, I think the, the fire phenomena, whether it's arson, PG&E, whatever, the way it's framed is more important because it's it's hysterics. It's not concordant with the really insane prehistorical record of California fires. And it's... Um, it's it's mostly about browbeating you and giving up certain life amenities, and of course torturing you out of your escape from the cityscapes and the uh, the problems therein.
0: I've often wondered if right. uh, if they wanted to accelerate Agenda, 21, Agenda uh, Twenty One, yeah. Agenda Twenty Agenda Twenty Two. I don't even know what we're on now. Um, they would just burn the, the rural areas. Do
2: you have bro? yeah, there's just wanted just one to clarify there. real quick. Uh, yeah, I was I, I can't remember who I was thinking of uh, when you mentioned Victor David Hansen because you're right. he is not he was not he, neither was he a Jew nor is he uh, <laughs> the uh, ex- uh, Stalinist. He's Swedish, I believe. He's like a sweet Anglo mix from I, Central I, I
4: think
0: Hans put it best when he first yeah. introduced the name to the show that he looks like the farmer in that painting of the guy holding a yeah, pitchfork with his wife. Yeah,
2: yeah they don't, the uh, American remember, Gothic. Is it? American Gothic, yeah. Um, I can't remember who I was thinking of. The guy I was thinking of, he did this interview slash debate with Julian Assange back you know, a decade ago and, or no, it was not with Julian Assange was moderating and he, it was a conversation with a uh, slob job, uh, Zezek. Right. And he's like, the same David story. Horowitz. Yeah. Horowitz is who I was thinking of. completely Dang,
0: different, guy. man. Ooh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> How yeah, did well, you connect well, those, well, those two? With me, well, they're, <laughs> they're published in like cited by the same fucking people. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The funny part about that, just as an aside, was that both Horowitz and Zizek had pictures of Stalin in their office, like during and for the different debate. reasons. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> for oh, for clearly different reasons. Yeah. I watched that <laughs> debate.
0: That was that was entertaining.
2: <laughs> Speaking of Julian, I don't want to. I'm happy to talk about the fires. You guys know what's up with him. There's, I've saw. I thought
0: rumors were use. Trump was thinking about letting him off, but I don't know.
3: That's So all of those leaks that you hear uh, about, like, maybe X is pardoned, maybe X is granted clemency, all of those leaks are designed to further uh, an internal power structure that mostly doesn't want that to happen. Uh, anytime that you hear like prospective leaks about somebody getting pardoned, it's usually to float that so that it can be shot down.
0: Who shot it? So, down? I mean, does anybody actually have a problem with, with Assange outside of the beltway?
3: Uh, no, but I mean the beltway though. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's he, a problem he right he was,
2: there. have shot down, uh, and current events what's up with that kid who killed those three uh those well he didn't kill three of them but shot three of those uh those antifa uh, yeah
0: our our hero kyle kyle Um, yeah what's what's going on Uh,
3: i'm not sure if he has made bail yet uh his uh legal defense fund uh turns out the smart strategy i guess is to raise that after they set bail uh, because that was the supposed justification for setting his bail at some obscene, like two million fucking dollars or something. By the oh, way, wow. Wisconsin does not have cash bail, or it does not have a uh, bail bondsman. Rather, um, they do have cash bail, uh, so he is uh, liable to raise the full amount of that uh, if he wants to uh, get out of jail, so that he can appropriately prepare for his defense. Uh, he said his
2: bail at two million dollars.
3: That's cool. uh, that's what I recall.
0: What when is his court date? I mean, you may not know, but they, there's a there's a bunch set, of
3: but... court dates. Uh, I don't think that any trial has been scheduled. Like the last that I heard, uh, there had been uh, the uh, kind of minimal indictments and uh, bail was set, and I don't believe that anything else has happened. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's another one of those things where, like, tracking the legal process as things get increasingly fraught. Uh, it's, like, it's easy enough to... Like, I encourage everybody reading or listening to this, like, you can just go and look up statutes. Sometimes there's nuance, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the, uh, the Atlanta um, uh, uh, shooting... Uh, the uh, whoever the guy, the jogger that got iced in, in, uh, in, uh, Georgia. Uh, like, people were saying absolutely crazy shit. And, like, you can just go and look up the statute as far as, like, what exact crime was charged, what the exact elements are of that crime. And, uh, at that point, you are more well informed than 95% of journalists writing about a case. Like, if you want to look at legal cases, yeah, like you're not a lawyer, probably. Like, I'm not a lawyer either. But just by virtue of being able to look up the actual documents involved, as opposed to some 105 IQ journalist saying their interpretation of what somebody else told them the document said like you just do so much better. Uh, You can go and look up court filings. You can go and look up briefs. You can look up statutes. You can look up case law. You can look up decisions and you can just be informed. If that appeals to you because you actually want to know what's going on, that's so much better than journalistic accounts. There are some, uh, like, actual... uh, High quality legal journalists, but they're super thin on the ground.
2: It's incredible how expensive it is in America to do absolutely nothing wrong.
4: Well, I think it does speak to something that's very insane. I can't remember who brought this up recently, but um, there will be this sense of bail inflation. Uh, I saw another like bail was set at million dollars for some of these rioters in Lancaster yep. Pennsylvania um a place that I never thought I would see. A, okay, know,
0: first of all, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is where the Amish live.
2: Well, now, Lancaster yeah. the City is not Lancaster. No, you're right.
0: You're right. But that—that's what how but, insane this country
2: is. Where you, well, you like, want to get? You want to cool. get that sweet Jeffrey Epstein-style plea deal or bail, where you like you just show up for prison for like a few hours. And, no joke. This is what fucking happened. Like, yeah, yeah. I know that most people didn't. Jeffrey Epstein was not a household name until like this year or last year, but this this was something like half a decade ago. It was like when they first like had to begrudgingly roll him up or whatever. It was like, dude, yeah, you just go to prison for a few hours and literally go home at night. Like that that was his arrangement.
3: But yeah, Hans, you're right. Like the, the setting of bail, the point of bail is just to make sure you show up for courts, that's the only reason why bail is supposed to exist.
2: Well, but, now what's it's, the it's nominal the, means that they determine the. the you know, well,
3: it's dollar complicated dollar. and multi-factor yeah, test, yeah. and it's, so, a it's like, so it's light risk, and
2: yeah. so it's an arbitrary whim. Where it's, it, like, it's
3: complete, it's more yeah. or less completely arbitrary. So, I mean, if somebody else who you don't know and has no connection whatsoever with you personally is putting up your bail. I don't really see how that incentivizes you to show up to court any more than just letting you off on your own recognizance. It's not like you have some self-conceived metaphysical duty to the, uh, the national lawyers guild or whoever, yeah uh, because
2: i mean in reality like on paper you know t- t- 10k for some people is a lot of money and oh yeah and, it's yeah. completely
3: impossible for some people and it's just like all right let me uh let me yeah. let me go hit a couple of atms for others like there's some there's supposed to be some notion of liquidity but ultimately it's like if you're not a piece of shit then the number of non-pieces of shit who just, like, don't show up for major felony cases is vanishingly small.
4: So I was actually curious about this one. So I can't remember who it was. Whoever it was, if you're listening, hats off to you. It was something I never considered, and there's no bail inflation. Uh, but I kind of looked into it very briefly, and uh, I did find this article from the Burns Institute. Never heard of them. I don't know who they are. If there's something shady about them, uh, I'm, I'm, I promise I'm not a shell. Uh, but they did have an interesting, you know, kind of baseline history of bail. And so they basically posit uh, bail – money. originally money bail was developed in the Anglo-Saxon period in England as a means of settling disputes peacefully. The accused was required to find someone to serve as their surety. To agree, who agreed to pay the settled amount to the victim of the defendant flood. No money was actually required to be released. The defendant just had to show they would be able to pay the settlement if needed.
3: Which but is still it, the way that it works in a lot of jurisdictions, well, but wait, like wait, you can do things so like
4: pledging your house.
2: Bail, though, then was going as a form of restitution to the victim. Well, hold, hold on. So let you me
4: know, let me get let me get to that.
2: Okay.
4: So, uh, and but is June June Car Carbone? Carbone said, in seeing through the emperor's new clothes, rediscovery of basic principles in the administration of bail, the Anglo-Saxon bail process was perhaps the last entirely rational application of bail. Uh, For hundreds of years, friends and families served as sureties for those accused of crime. Around the 1900s, this started to change. In England as well as the United States, industrialization led to more people on the move. No longer was it as easy for people to find relatives to act as sureties, and there was even more opportunities for people to skip town rather than stick around for a verdict. In 1898, England passed the Bail Act to dispense with sureties and to find more effective methods of ensuring court appearance and preventing new crimes. The U.S. went in the opposite direction. That same year, the first commercial bondsmen started up shop in San Francisco, and the lucrative business quickly caught on across the rest of the country. By this time, most courts required money bail amounts to be paid in full as a condition of release. Unable to finance the full amount at one time, more and more people turned to the commercial bondsmen to put up their bail amount. Bondsmen, in turn, expected full repayment with interest. As courts increased the use of money bail for release and the amount required for release, people relied more heavily on commercial bondsmen thereafter. It did not take long to see the gross inequalities between those who, was a, who were a were able to afford release, and who was not. Uh, And they quote, as Judge J. Skelly Wright of the D.C. Circuit Court stated in 1963, certainly the professional bondsman system is odious at best. The effect of such a system is that the professional bondsman holds the keys to the jail in their pockets. The court and the commissioner are relegated to the relatively unimportant chore of fixing the amount of bail. Guided by a desire to turn profits rather than ensure public safety or justice, the abuse of the system became both pervasive and well-known. And, of course, I mean, all these articles inevitably go into, like, hysterics and histrionics about black and Latinx, whatever. Um, but clearly, that's not the, what's going on with um, a man named Kyle Rittenhouse. Um they do go on to say the American Bar Association and thought leaders in the field have condemned the use of money bail as it is not shown to improve public safety or prevent failures to appear. It has been shown to contribute to the increasing proportion of jail inmates who are not convicted of any crime uh, 62% in 2013. Um, so, again, I don't, you know, Burns. Yeah. I mean,
3: it, it, it's it, yeah. it, like the. The notion that you are supposed to be entitled to a speedy trial is effectively dead. Yes. Uh, If you, you, again, like you can just look up exactly what a, you know, pick federal courts because they're relatively easy to look up the exact uh, rulings, um, the like rules of criminal procedure, exactly what they consider to be their limit for a quote unquote speedy trial. And if it's like you stand up and you're like, yes, I want my day in court immediately post haste as quickly as possible. Basically, the clock is only ticking uh, while you have demanded that and like while scheduled court dates aren't pending. So it it, it is a dead letter. Uh, it, makes- it would eliminate uh, a lot of these problems if it's like okay you're charged with crime x let's have a trial now uh there's no reason really why that shouldn't be possible like there are valid reasons for defendants to want continuances in order to get all the evidence like you know god only knows what uh files exist in various state and federal databases about these three scumbags uh, that were lit up by a, uh, by kyle
1: uh <clears throat> well, well speaking there,
2: so, of which we should we should be clear i think that it's only fair that kyle be regarded by his actions as an honorary latino <laughs> Yeah, he did identify as hispanic uh which was
4: interesting um that could have been a glitch yeah that could have been a glitch i guess well it's uh, a very alt-right uh, thing. there, there wasn't so there's yeah, another article george this time. zimmerman There's uh, another good article, this time from Heritage. Now, forgive me for citing Heritage, but again, these are the better articles on the subject. If you know of a better one, please send it to me. Uh, But they do go into how basically Anglo-Saxon law um, actually was not too different from, I think, Roman law in that most of matters such as these, even murder, were regarded as private. What's what's the title
0: of this, Hans? Uh,
4: The... Uh, the title of this article is just The History of Cash Bail over at Heritage.org. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so that's
0: basically, kind of a, most, you know, when you-
4: most of these sort of early but somewhat sophisticated legal systems, including Roman early Roman Republican systems, um, regarded most infractions as private affairs, which is um, interesting, mostly, uh, I think, due to the lack of centralization in any society at the time. It was hard to, you know, kind of create the confluence for an administered court system. There were obviously courts in Anglo-Saxon England, and there were courts in the Roman Republic. And they did see to certain matters, but matters uh, most of the time uh, were—you were expected to handle this on your own. Um, So modern American bail law, again, can trace its origins. Anglo-Saxon, unlike today, criminal justice was largely a private, often brutal affair— Family members were expected to avenge their murdered kin. Any private citizen could kill an offender sentenced to outlawry. Anyone caught in the act of committing a crime could be summarily executed. Gradually, however, the law turned away from blood feuds towards a system of financial compensation. These payments, known as vergeld, were equal to the uh, injured party's value, which can be assigned based On, among other things, the person's social status. You're you're talking
3: about like Anglo-Saxon law. We're talking like pre-Norman invasion here. Yes,
4: that's pre-1066, pre-Hastings. This
3: is limited relevance to yes, but it it is
4: interesting in that most of the again most of the early somewhat sophisticated legal systems uh, that we inherit from certainly the Roman Republican system and. Uh, base, basis of the Anglo-Saxon system, regarded something like what we're talking about, or it would have been a private affair, effectively. And it was between... But it,
3: and it's, it's like when you talk about money incentives to do right. something or to not do something, you're positing a certain level of time preference and cognition. So I, there was just a, uh, a, a dash cam video Um, Not just dash cam, but uh, body cam video released today. Uh, It was uh, some guy in uh, Nebraska, I believe, Um, like pretty standard. It just like POS, like had some sort of nebulous narcotics activity in the past. He was white, by the way, Uh, where this is a this is an anti-racist podcast. Uh, But, uh, you know, some basically not a great guy. Uh, no tags on his vehicle, no insurance, no license, gets pulled over, starts like bitching and w- wailing about, like, I know my rights and I don't want to get out of the car. Oh, I think this and is why don't you just let me go? Yeah, yeah, t- yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Tulsa Oklahoma. <clears throat> and so at some point, they like start tasing him and pepper spraying him and, and etc. And he decides to upgrade from like, Basically, driving with a suspended license to uh, capital murder uh, when he decides that by golly I'm going to take my like handgun out and I'm going to try to blow away these cops. That's not a rational decision under any calculus whatsoever. Like even if you've got warrants, even if they're going to find like the sixty pounds of weed in the trunk or whatever, it's not a good calculation to make. But You know, the the idea that there's any amount of bail that would ensure that somebody that makes that terrible of a calculation, which is a routine calculation, if you look at all of these, quote unquote, traffic stops gone bad or whatever, people routinely just make terrible, terrible decisions about how they're going to escalate things and how they're going to play things. Bail per se doesn't work on those people. Conversely, the idea that like some 17-year-old kid is going to decide that you know, well, I'm I'm just going to take my chances uh, on the run. I mean a reasonably intelligent 17-year-old kid who appears to be civic-minded and has robust family and friend connections in the area and is, by all accounts, shaping up to be a pillar of his community. The idea that he's just going to like take his chances going from motel to motel or however people roll now when they're on the run, uh, that's ridiculous. Like, There's no amount of bail low enough to not ensure that he would not appear in court. I don't know how many triple negatives right. that is, but you get my drift.
2: Right. Yeah, I, I just – to clarify, I, it does appear that under American law, it is currently illegal to kill pedophiles. I just want people to be aware of that.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, and it, it is – it's funny you bring up the, the Tulsa – they were sheriffs um, because apparently post-Hastings, England – uh, it was actually sheriffs who, who were setting bail, and so there was a unique system in place in that you had the the sheriffs running around England, um, basically judging crimes on the spot as they were reported, and making value judgments uh, based on you know whether or not they knew the people and and so forth, and they could immediately say ah the bail is is thus and they could immediately say uh, off to jail with you or off to home with you make sure to pay your pay your bail.
3: Yeah, if you want like the short history of Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence or like English common law or whatever, it's it's basically like uh, if you've ever seen like a uh, a parent like get increasingly uh, frustrated over the course of a, of a like dinner or a Chuck E cheese or whatever of like managing some unruly uh, horde of children (laughs) until eventually he just like chucks everybody in the van or she (laughs) chucks everybody in the van is like, fuck it. We're we're leaving. Fuck this. Well, yeah, that's, that's that's essentially like, like, (laughs) because you can see it's like, well, you, you start by like, okay. Everybody's gonna sort out their own behavior. And it's like, well, Floyd's dead now. And uh we have every we have every indication that like Harry is gonna kill again and he's intimidated all the witnesses, and this really isn't good. A lynch mob is forming and it looks like they're gonna burn down half the town. It's like okay, fine. I'm gonna send a sheriff in there who's acting with my authority, and he's gonna like try to calm things down, and he's gonna just like solve the problem. And it's like, well, you know, I understand, like, you have to understand, like, I killed this guy in self-defense, and why should I be on the hook? It's like, ah, oh, fuck it. Like, disturbing the peace, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, now you have, like, 2020, and the state of English law is just like, well, everybody just shut the fuck up in the back of the van, do as you're fucking told. Yeah. You're on lockdown, quarantined.
2: You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but... It is my understanding that in the great American Latino state of Texas, which of course has a tr- very rich Latino tradition of, uh, <laughs> of jurisprudence, uh, there it is actually one of the few places in the country in which you can be convicted of something like second-degree murder and walk, because it, it, I, I guess it's a form of jury nullification, but basically what can happen And I'm aware that cases like this have happened, where basically you have a situation where, say, a a wife uh, is being eaten by her Latino husband, uh, and she, she, you know, puts a 12-gauge to his temple and, you know, makes a mess in the kitchen. uh, And the jury can basically say, well, look, yeah, it's true, like, the facts of the case suggest that this was, in fact, second-degree murder, but uh, we don't see that a crime had been committed here. And, albeit my source for this, is watching the Werner Herzog film, uh, I think it was called Into the Abyss, where he, he mentioned this, because I, I don't really know a lot about the Latino justice system, but I understand that that is a situation that can play out in Texas. And
3: that's just, like, jury nullification.
2: It is yeah. a just jury null, there's no further...
3: I mean, I don't know what uh, peculiarities there are there, but there have been... You know, there's some there's some colorful uh, in most states, actually, there's kind of some colorful uh, before really the justice system was kind of turned into just another arm of civil state authority as such. Like it's still kind of towards that end. But when there was a little bit more uh, leeway, you had a little bit more interesting stuff happen as opposed to just like, well, dude says we got a railroad you. Sorry. I mean, people still yeah. got like railroaded, obviously, but you know, it seems uh, it seemed more uh, entertainingly erratic back in the day, as opposed to just an assembly line uh, for uh, screwing over enemies of the people.
2: What, what are they charging that kid with? Is it like uh, second or third degree murder, or what?
3: Uh, well, Wisconsin doesn't really have common law first degree murder. They just have like. They have—they uh, don't call it first degree either. It's—it's uh, it's like first something murder. It's like the highest form of murder, but it corresponds to second degree murder. It's just intentional killing without legal justification.
2: Doesn't it have to be premeditated? To- no,
3: there's no premeditation uh, requirement for um, the statute that he's uh, charged under.
2: So, what to what extent is? Potentially overcharging him detrimental to the system, or is it irrelevant? Can they just drop it and like pursue another app? Or legally? L- uh, well, practically speaking, like, is there any way they can hurt their own ability to turn the screws on this kid? Uh, by- yeah,
3: I don't know what the um, some states have. Uh, some jurisprudence around uh kind of like a stack of offenses like where in lieu of like murder one you can be convicted of murder two because like murder two is all of the or murder one is all of the elements of murder two plus premeditation um uh i'm not sure if like the i looked this up when he was charged um just sort of like idly for my own curiosity's sake and uh there is like a i mean essentially there's a self-defense uh and it's a reasonable subjective self-defense uh uh uh, doctrine um in as much as i read it i'm sure there's case law that details that um ad nauseum but uh, essentially like He's effectively charged with first-degree murder, which is just like an unlawful, uh, intentional killing. There is a self-defense uh, exemption. There is a uh, anti-exemption uh, in the self-defense exemption if your self-defense occurred during the commission of a crime. So it's like... I haven't seen any brief that lays out like the exact kind of legal theory as far as whether, um, they consider for instance, illegal carrying of a firearm, uh, to be like a crime that he was in the midst of committing that would negate any self-defense claim. I, is, I just, is that the
2: case? Is, I don't his, know. Yeah. I, just I mean, it's well, okay, so illegal to be. Carrying. Well,
3: so when I was reading that statute, uh, the the illegal possession of a firearm uh, statute is kind of weirdly written. Um, and again, like, I didn't look up the case law. I just looked at the statute and was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, but it's... Uh, it's if you are under 18 and you are in possession of a uh, firearm, essentially, or some other stuff, uh, well, what then... Is-
2: but that I is, mean, it it seems like you're you're pretty much like free and clear and above board if your mom bought you your AR. You know what I mean? Like
3: yeah, but that's ownership, not possession. So uh,
2: but, there's but your mom said it was okay.
3: Yeah. Well, okay. So the interesting thing, like reading the statute, is that there's like a another triple negation where. It's like, OK, if you are under 18 and you're possessing a firearm, that's illegal unless you fall under one of these exemptions. One of which is if you are uh, over 16 uh, and you are following uh, these particular hunting regulations. Uh, uh, so, like, so
2: they may be t- so it's, it's quite get-
3: possible that, like, if he happens to have a hunting license that he that that is technically legal, like I. I'm not okay. a lawyer like I don't yeah sure. I don't know but there's no, I get there, it. That's, that's there are like plausible pursuing... I didn't see it in like any of the um things that I saw written I didn't actually read uh whatever briefs um he's read or he's uh submitted um but like it's it's possible that like he makes some legal claim that you know, the statute as written, like, really only applies to you if you're under 16. Like, because the exemption from the hunting license only applies, but like, the negation of the exemption to the hunting uh, exemption only applies if you're under 16, if that makes sense.
2: Barely, but I think I follow. <clears throat> In other words, they're going to be trying to, like, his...
3: It's possible. I mean, honestly, if he, like, if he... I, I would be surprised somewhat if they can make the murder wrap uh, stick and the uh, illegal possession of a firearm or whatever is a gross misdemeanor. Uh, I think that if he remains in jail for any appreciable amount of time, uh, he would end up probably being released on time served, if, even if he was convicted of uh, illegal possession of a weapon.
2: I haven't really been following the the news or anything lately but i did manage to see a bunch of uh i and i'm not surprised by this but i think it's worth pointing out a bunch of our enemies generally you know open that this kid is like sodomized by negroes and stuff like that was the thing that people went on their computer to to type in and say that they wanted other people to... It's sort of an evergreen... To, yeah, yeah. That, that
4: seems to be like an like a, an evergreen attack on anyone who does anything. Like, I, I hope you enjoy rape. Um, it's something very pervasive about American sense of justice that you hope someone goes to prison specifically to be raped. Yeah, it's, um, um, I, and it certainly, I, by I the way, it, it certainly explains ask. the recent uh, phenomena with people like... Bradley Manning, uh, who was in U.S. jail for years. Uh, so he was out, in
2: military prison. Military
4: man. prison, even worse, coming out as a uh, flaming transvestite.
2: Yeah, nobody knows what was done to that kid. It yeah. he, he was already clear that he was a homosexual to begin with. Uh, and I don't know if that's maybe why he was comprom- I I don't know. But in the case of uh, people outsourcing their idea of punishment, uh, to raping and sodomizing young men. Oh,
3: and it's not just like the public. That's an explicit feature of the. So it is. You can it's you can look at what was yeah. done to uh, Maria uh, Butova, uh, the, uh, the 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 um, basically rando, the the random Russian chick who was just essentially going to cocktail parties uh in the u.s being like you know yay brothership or whatever like maybe you can hook me up with a job in dc this is like six uh, years
0: ago in new york it's like a spy ring or something
3: no no this wasn't the like quote-unquote spy ring this is literally just some random russian chick who went to a bunch of cocktail parties she was like vaguely involved with the uh with the NRA and was like we should also have gun rights in Russia i would love if we could like collaborate in some sort of uh, international cultural whatever she had no government connections it wasn't even alleged that she had any official government collection connections but it was politically convenient during the russia hysteria uh, circa like 2015 i want to say um, for her to be uh, um, arrested and charged with being an unregistered uh, foreign agent because she was like trying to set up some sort of thing on her own uh, accord uh, between like some random low-level Russian functionary uh, and like the NRA or whatever. Uh, anyway, it was uh, <laughs> it was a intentional feature of her imprisonment um, for extremely. Uh, picayune and petty uh, even purported crimes uh, that uh, any time that she wanted to consult her lawyer, she had to be strip-searched and forcibly sodomized.
2: Uh, that's, that's America for you. I mean, it's it I think that, like I've talked about this, I discussed Adam and I were kind of going back and forth on it uh, with respect to prisons. I believe, of course, in the total abolition of uh, the U.S. prison system. I I think it is a a, abolitionist. Yeah, well, it's a it's a perverse Quaker invention, and um, it its purpose has nothing to do with restitution or justice in any kind of meaningful sense. And you can tell this by the fact that you know people. Who commit real crimes are not hung from the neck until death, and then people who are suspected and probably not even guilty of minor crimes are basically tortured for years uh, in the most undignified ways. And it's the basis of it's the you know the underside of America in a way that I think normal people they don't really reckon with very much, but you still see it. Like you see a lot of like kind of bourgeois, uh, especially liberals, like saying this kind of shit. Because in their mind, like, oh, they'll never go to prison, and this is, this is a thing for, you know, the proles or something. I, I find it to be, and you look at it also, what America does overseas in terms of, we discussed what happened at Abu Ghraib, and uh, it was really actually just an outsourcing of the so-called American criminal justice system to, uh, I guess what you would say is counterinsurgency measures but that's like america's brand of punishment is sodomy and torture and brutalization by its uh, worst elements
0: i'm not defending it but it's not just america's i mean russian prisons are notorious for being even worse uh in terms of how they they treat their prisoners and, and they have a whole gang culture that is really centuries old that that goes back you know pre you know modern prison styles um, so I, I don't have any easy answers here. Obviously, there's gross injustices, no question about it, and there's there's a lack of justice in that a lot of people don't get punished. Um, for example, you know, Epstein at all. But uh, here's the I thing: that, that, don't yeah, go believe ahead.
2: in punishment. I I don't think that punishment is irrelevant. Well, I mean, well let, me, let me finish my point. Punishment is how you deal with a okay, slave don't class. Don't let me finish my point.
0: Sure, uh, go ahead. Thank you. Ahead. Uh, I, I just want to say that if you you have... Look, uh, Trump is, is campaigning on getting blacks out of prison. Um, I, I don't think you have to look any further than the statistics on this. The crime rate in the inner city has basically ebbed and flowed with the amount of incarceration rate of the blacks. Sorry to say that, but... And I'm sure some of them don't deserve it, but a lot of them seem to de- deserve it, or at least there's a correlation between how many of them are out on the streets and how many of them are in prison. I don't think it's a great answer, but without acknowledging that fact, we have to come up with um, you know better answers if if we're not going to do anything. Um, well,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree. I mean, a multi a multiracial state uh, that has various slave-like underclasses, uh, you might have to deal with. You, you might have to administer so-called punishment uh you you may need a two-tier justice system to address that but typically like punishment is something that you do to slaves you know for the rest of first citizen you're faced with like you if you commit a crime and it's beyond the pale well then you hang if it's something that is doesn't make you irredeemable well you pay restitution to the victim of the crime that basically solves most things what if they can't though well, well, you can't. You're into forced labor for them. I mean, you can be made to. Pay hey, restitution.
0: you're speaking my language here.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, you can be forced to pay restitution, even if that means that you're going to work for someone without pay for till your dying days. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. That you know, I like that. That can be made to happen. Uh, punishment, though, is something that you administer to people who, if you were to free them or let them just out on their own, you know, accord. They're just going to continually and habitually abuse people and commit crimes and that's why you need a whip and i i do think corporal punishment is i guess applicable to having a slave class it's unfortunate to have one in the first place and i suppose the same can be said about you know really like people like hank mentioned earlier you know really just shit uh white people like that's that's fine but also at the same time Like if you made a a, had a more robust system of legal protection for people who defend their property and their livelihood against these type of people, they wouldn't last long anyways because they would be open season on them. You know, I just there's no in my mind there's no place in a in a truly civilized uh, society for mass incarceration. I I think that most things can be solved with restitution, execution, and in the sad event that you have a bunch of people who are You know, uh, too uncivilized to really operate. You may need to administer habitual corporal and physical punishment. That's true, but that's that's not ideal.
0: Um, I I also think this is all symptomatic of a deeper problem that we don't actually have a functioning society. Uh, That's a sort of cop-out answer, but I think we would agree that that's sort of what's driving all of these uh, band-aids that we're trying to put on the real wound. I think if you you don't have to look any further than a country like Japan, who basically has a police force that the, even the economists will admit has nothing to do. Uh, they they sit around in their kobans and they give directions. There's so little crime in a country like that that they don't really need. A, a prison system slash police force. Yes, they have the yakuza. That there are criminals, but to the degree that we have it, it's it's not even a question. And I well, think and the there, reason is they have a better society, and, and there's yeah, there's people in it that no, actually behave themselves.
2: Totally. Uh, and if you look at the fundamental conceit, the origins of the uh, penal complex, it's when you I mentioned the Quakers. It's the idea. Was I mean the original uh, cells in a prison and they were called asylums. They would have an open skylight to the to the heavens, you know. And the the idea was like, oh, you're gonna if we're gonna lock you in your timeout room, uh, and you're gonna stare up at the heavens and you're gonna have a literal come to Jesus moment. Like that that was the concept. It was a sort of a religious a forced.
0: That's interesting. Form,
2: yeah. If that that's where the whole concept comes from. And if you look elsewhere, like. In, historically speaking, as far as prisons go, I mean, usually they were just torture chambers for like people who were going, who were basically sentenced to various forms of perpetual abuse unto death. I mean, they were dungeons. It
1: was,
3: yeah. or it was some. Place to keep somebody important on ice in yes, case yeah, they
2: yeah. turned out to be handy later. Absolutely, yeah. It's a way of not killing someone that you otherwise would kill, and you have in CK
3: two. This would be the difference between uh, imprison and throw in the obi. <laughs> yeah,
0: what, I mean, what game I, is that? <laughs> CK two. A, a That's funny.
2: Yeah, it was uh, our late, our late co-host Alex was actually a big fan of that one. Um, but yeah, I didn't, he's, I didn't want to go. He's dead, dead now. Or, yeah, he's dead now. Uh, or maybe he's in a, you know, hopefully, hopefully. Actually, not. there's hopefully in a. Better
4: place. Uh, Alex, Alex, I know you're listening to this. Just, just message me. Stop being a dick.
2: Okay, but if you are listening, it's it's all right, bro. Like you can hit us up. Like, we'll, <laughs> like I don't think he's listening, but. If he was, it is cool. You can you can hit us up. We're not mad.
4: Well, there's one story I would like to cover before we, I guess, sign off for the night. Um, it's something that I think showed up, scared the shit out of a lot of people, and then vanished due to uh, street theater and wildfires. Um, do you guys remember the story of the tens of thousands of Americans in every single state, mostly farmers, who received... Mystery seeds from China and Kyrgyzstan and Malaysia. No. No, I never heard yeah. that story. Was no. this?
3: Uh, was that conclusively? I have a. I, uh, I got. I and several of my relatives have received not inexpensive, like random hundred-dollar items, uh, like direct from various weird retailers like my aunt got like a heart some weird harley davidson boomer bait like branded shit like i got some some sort of like a like a pawn shop like density detector thing. how am i
0: not on this gravy train
2: yeah where's I mean, it my cool fucking swag?
3: It's like if all all of the, like, hundreds of people that I am in contact with on an irregular basis, like, I guess those were the two that mentioned something. So the base rate is probably still pretty low. Did
2: you get, like, free gift cards to Bass Pro?
3: God, I wish. No, free gift cards don't show up. Like, you just
0: sell that shit on eBay or whatever. You never get what you actually want. So Hans, back tell, in, us, tell uh, us about the seeds. Tell yeah, us about so, the xenomorphs. Hans about the
4: seeds. So back in... Um, uh, it's late June, going into July. Um, there was a growingly strange phenomena. And I think it started maybe with the Washington State Department of Agriculture, who were the first to really make a big deal out of it, um, where lots of people... In rural areas, uh, in every single state, it's been documented now, although mostly states you would traditionally associate with farming, um, received strange packages in the mail. Uh, Now, most of these people claimed that they had ordered seeds of various kinds through Amazon. And at first, they thought nothing of it. They thought, oh, maybe Amazon or whoever is sourcing these through China because the packages arrived entirely in Mandarin characters. Some of them claimed to be from Kyrgyzstan, some of them claimed to be from Malaysia, but they were written entirely in Mandarin. The vast majority uh, claimed to be from China. Uh, so, when this was, uh, as soon as this came out from Washington State, there was an advisory put out. Basically, Do not, under any circumstances, open the bag. Do not, under any circumstances... Don't
2: open the box! Don't open the box! Don't
4: plant these seeds. And immediately, uh, Virginia, Utah, Kansas, Arizona, Louisiana... The state of Washington doesn't want you to eat the magic seeds. Right. New Mexico. They immediately issue similar warnings. Do not, under any circumstances, touch these seeds... Especially, do not plant these seeds. Can, and it was very.
3: you put them up your ass.
4: It was very strange because no one really understood uh, what the seeds even were. They looked. They just. They looked like standard plant seeds.
2: Is this just confirmation that like a kingdom of giants lives above us, and we we just our overlords don't want us to access it?
4: So yeah it got it got increasingly weird because then, at the national level, there starts to come warnings from the federal government, basically saying, we're not really sure of what's going on, but you need to make sure that you destroy these seeds, ASAP,
0: or send them to us
4: for analysis.
3: Disagree.
0: So
4: always do the opposite. Okay, so S- time send goes them on to the Congressman
0: like, that won't sign the Patriot Act. That's what, Okay, so that's what time
4: happens. goes on for like a <laughs> month, month and a half, and basically, uh, no one hears about this. Well. The good reporters over at Vice um, decided to do real journalism for once in their lives. So
1: they did put them up their
4: ass. We smoked them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, they did a— like paid a
3: Bolivian hooker $4 to snort the magic seeds off our ass, and you yeah. won't
4: believe what happened. So they, they basically um, decided, hey, whatever the hell happened to that story, and they submitted hundreds of Freedom of Information Act requests. Well, they figured out that um, quite a few people, numbering in the tens of thousands, planted these seeds. And uh, (laughs) the the results were, um, uh, well, interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, First of all, Vice uh, basically – I'm sorry, 52 uh, Freedom of Information Acts, not hundreds, but 52 of them – uh, and then they filed other requests with the USDA, several of the individual USDA labs. They filed requests in Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. Uh, and apparently Wait. the scale of this thing was massive. Are they going to no start
0: like burning everyone's gardens now? Well, Is this no, like so the prelude no really to destroying understand- your victory garden of independence? This is how my mind works these days. I wonder why. You,
2: you, you don't
3: just like chuck an in an, an ECA garden. machine and it spits out the species.
4: So about a month ago, uh, I'm sorry. So yeah, about a month ago, people started reporting back to their various state agricultural boards about the nature of this and of the USDA. Well, people started calling in. Um, so New Mexico, for example, a lot of people called. It basically goes like this. About a month ago, I did receive seeds from China, I guess China, because it looks like Chinese writing. I thought, oh, cool, maybe Burgess Seeds or one of the seed companies sent me some seeds. And um, like a dumbass, I planted them not knowing there was a problem. And now I've been battling this for a couple weeks. Now where I planted them and I remember where I planted them, everything that's in the garden where I planted them are having a hard time and are starting to die I don't really know what to do at this point, so could somebody call me back and give me a little bit of direction? I know I'm a dumbass. Apparently this woman was never called back. Calls like this were not unusual. Some people ate the seeds, according to the documents. Some people called 911. Emergency meetings were held. The USDA's Smuggling Interdiction and Trade Compliance Group, Customs and Border Protection, and the FBI began investigating. Uh, David Stebbings, an officer with the uh, SITC, emailed when alerted by authorities in New Hampshire about the seeds, saying it's starting to explode. Uh, In the initial days of the mystery, no one really knew what to do. In in Michigan, 677 people filed official complaints with the state about the receipt of unsolicited seeds. 30 planted them. Uh, This guy says, I planted them in my hydroponic system in my home. I thought they were the strawberry seeds I ordered. They turned black and green mold, infected everything around them, so I threw it all away. If I had known these seeds were going to originate from China, I would not have planted them. Uh, Another guy said, received many shipments, planted some, and clover came up. Planted one pack and ate the oregano that grew. Have some left. And one seed recipient noted that they, quote, salted ground after planting some of their seed packet. (laughs) Not all the seeds were unsolicited. Some people ordered seeds, got what they paid for, planted them, then became concerned when the Chinese mystery seeds articles began popping up. Uh, So it goes on like this. and Nearly every state was just like shawacked and had no clue what to do. And this kind of highlights, interestingly enough, just like the level of gross unawareness a lot of states have towards this sort of thing. They don't really think about it. New Hampshire oh, in,
3: also, in fairness, like on a state level, like yeah. some shit comes in the mail to one of your citizens. They have no involvement with right, right. mail so, screening. They have robust agriculture departments, but they're not set up to do like screening of all inbound shipments.
4: New Hampshire also got mails from cops who said they were going getting calls from concerned residents and didn't know what to do. Within a few days of the seeds getting media attention, an emergency call was held by the USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service with state agricultural officials in which it attempted to, amongst other things, assess whether actually tracking all the seed packets was, quote, manageable due to the, quote, very high volume. Is there an end to the situation in sight? It is too early to determine whether the situation is expanding, leveling off, or decreasing.
2: Dude, imagine like calling the cops because you have a problem in your garden and they right. show up and execute.
4: So I'm writing here's here's a fun email. I'm writing to let you know that last April my brother ordered five packets of seeds through Amazon for our garden. When they came, they were strangely packaged in gray mailing envelopes with white labels sent from China, Kyrgyzstan, and Malaysia. The envelope from China does not identify the seed pouch within labeled within labeled lettuce. The envelope from Kyrgyzstan what? is labeled stud earrings on the outside, but inside are peas. One envelope oh from Malaysia is labeled lettuce seeds on the outside, with a seed packet inside also labeled lettuce. The other package from Malaysia is labeled carrots, both outside and on the seed packet. We thought this is all very strange, but we're in a global world, and since they came from Amazon, we assumed <laughs> they were safe. We planted some of the seeds. Not a single seed germinated. I joked at the time that Customs wanted us to run them through a microwave. In any case, we gave up as a lost cause. However, I did keep the packets and the leftover seeds simply because I was suspicious. I thought I should keep them around for a while. Sure enough, on July 25th, we received a single loan envelope, similar to the earlier order, and labeled stud earrings with a return address in China. The packet inside contained tiny round black seeds that looked like they had just started to sprout, but then dried up. As I sometimes do with seeds, I covered them in damp paper towels to see if they would sprout fully. I wasn't going to bother planting them if they were like the others and wouldn't grow. They they were like this for several days, not sprouting, when I read the news reports about widespread distribution of unknown seeds. So it kind of just goes on and on and on like this. And... Uh, they kind of determined in New Mexico that some of these seeds were quote noxious weeds that exist in huge numbers in the United States but which people are banned from planting. Those include oxeye daisy and hedge bindweed. New Mexico also identified onion, cucumber, tomato, radish, peppergrass, alfalfa, corn, lettuce, hollyhock and spearmint. Uh, the USDA also gave states an official guide to destroying the seeds which include baking them in an oven suffocating them in two Ziploc trash bags or soaking them in bleach. The USDA is currently advising people not to plant anything in that area for at least one year and to destroy any plants that happen to grow there naturally.
3: Yeah, I've heard the hypothesis that this was uh, a uh, mechanism to uh, get uh, on various retail websites uh, a tracking number
1: that yeah. showed
3: as delivered that yeah. uh, basically the, uh, the product, um, they're, they're able to boost uh, the stats for uh, their, uh, their product uh, confirmed shipments and deliveries uh, and orders in order to make it go higher in the search rankings. So you have some like Chinese toothbrush or whatever, and you want it to be the top ranked Uh, Chinese toothbrush when people search for toothbrush on Amazon so you have a bunch of shill accounts place orders to yourself you don't actually mail uh, anyone anything you just send some lightweight item that results in a tracking number so that Amazon shows that you're shipping something or another Uh, and then you you rise in the rankings it's unclear why it would be seeds like they're not uh, like as opposed to empty envelopes or, you know, a couple of bolts or whatever. Um, it's, uh, it's mysterious to me as well, particularly like the other stuff, which, you know, the fact that some people uh, seem to be getting other weird stuff, there was some, I tried to find it, there was some like uh, Vice or BuzzFeed saga or something about a espresso machine where the lady ended up with like a half dozen uh, very fancy espresso makers, um, there's some there's some trickery going on here, and I don't think it's all Chinese tricks. I think that there's some some exotic e-commerce uh, glitches going on. Yeah,
4: well, I was curious about this, and apparently uh, the Chinese have been involved in. Some very bizarre uh, seed-related incidents the last five, six years. Um, this is an interesting one. Tim Burack, a northern Iowa farmer in his 44th growing season, has taken to keeping a weary eye out for unfamiliar vehicles around his 300 acres of genetically modified corn seeds. Oh, uh, yes. Along with other farmers in this vast agricultural region, he has upped his vigilance ever since Mo High Long, and, and six other Chinese nationals were accused by U.S. authorities of, in 2013 of digging up seeds from Iowa farms and planning to send them back to China. The case in which Mo pleaded guilty in January has laid bare the value and vulnerability of food technology. So it's interesting. Basically, the story is like this dude is just like surveying his farm, notices that the farm around the farm there's a car parked on the road and there's two guys kneeling down in the dirt so he walks over there and it's like you know what the fuck are you up to chang and uh these two chinese guys apparently started freaking out because there's like this you know clearly pissed off american farmer uh looking at them and they say we're here for a conference and then they immediately run back into the car <laughs> they get in the car Yeah, in the middle of a it.
0: cornfield yeah
4: they they apparently like go through a ditch and fuck up the chassis the chassis of their car their rental <laughs> car so <laughs> like the story got it all folks
3: and so they can't drive the
4: car the farmer's just like standing there watch like these two chinese nationals try and drive a car and he uh, he immediately just calls the local sheriff and gives them the license plate number. Like, yo, these two chinks was were just. Was the uh, Hans
2: was was the car? Was it named General Ree? That would have been funny, the General Rhee. Um Someone out there is going to get that joke.
4: It's what is that? A Dukes of Hazard joke? Yes. Yes. Charger. What do you mean, someone out there? What about on this call, you asshole? I was surprised that uh, Adam.
2: I didn't know you were a Dukes fan. You ask <laughs> oh, me I, I, I know cars. To- you should outro this with, uh, and if Adam doesn't do it, then you know, you can blame him. You should outro it with the Johnny, the Chinese cash, uh, General Lee song. That,
0: that's very, that's very passive aggressive of you. I like
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> so,
4: so apparently this, uh, it, I mean, it's just like this hilarious circumstance where this farmer just watches like these two Chinese dudes fall down in the dirt and try and drive through a ditch and then fuck up their car and try and like do this getaway maneuver. Um, and so they 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 find these guys, the FBI, like, you know, reams them up the ass with uh, charges and basically is like, all right, get the fuck out, Chang, kicks him out of the country. And uh, I looked into it further. Now, apparently they worked for this company called uh, King's Nower Seed, Nower Seed. Uh, apparently, this is a thing based out of Beijing. Well, there was a separate circumstance involving this same company. In 2012, agents from the FBI contacted U.S. Customs and Border Protection at O'Hare with an urgent request. They wanted bags from two passengers on an outbound flight to Beijing pulled for immediate inspection. The passengers didn't track his dangerous criminals. Li Xiaoming, President of Beijing King's Nower Seed, a large Chinese agricultural company, and Yi Jian, the company's top crop research manager. In Li's luggage, agents found two large Pop Weaver microwave popcorn boxes. Buried under the bags of unpopped snack kernels were roughly 300 tiny manila envelopes, all cryptically numbered. Two one five five two four zero three two zero three six two. Inside each envelope was a single corn seed. In Yi's luggage, agents found more corn seeds hidden amid his clothes. Each one individually wrapped in napkins from a subway restaurant. Customs officers were dispatched to the gate area for the Beijing flight, where they found the two men and conducted body searches. Still, more corn seeds, also folded into napkins, were discovered in Yi's pockets. Meanwhile, at a different gate, Wang Wang Hung Wai, another Chinese national, boarded a separate flight for Burlington, Vermont, where he had a car waiting for him to drive to Canada. FBI agents were there to follow him, though Wang, after leaving the airport parking garage, made a series of abrupt turns and managed to give his surveillance team the slip. It didn't matter. Border patrol agents were waiting when Wang pulled up to the Highgate Springs port of entry. He was selected for a search, which turned up 44 bags of corn seeds under his seat and in his suitcases, as well as a notebook filled with GPS coordinates and a digital camera containing hundreds of pictures of cornfields. Questions by agents, Wang would say that he had purchased the seeds from a man named Mo Heid Lang. We just mentioned that man in the Iowa story. The director of international business at the Beijing Dai Nong Technology Group. Not wanting to alert Mo agents, all, allowed all three men to leave the country, but their corn seeds were confiscated.
2: You know. I, so I
4: what's think interesting? The only way hold on, what's with- well, I just want to say what's interesting to me is that we've said this before in this show. Clearly, given America's relationship with mainland China, it is fascinating that we have so many Chinese nationals freely allowed to roam the country and do whatever they please for any amount of length of time and then leave swiftly without any sort of normal interdiction. Uh, and this is the sort of thing that's been going on for years, apparently, this sort of seed theft and agricultural espionage that is now coming back to haunt the United States. Uh, likely in that many of these stolen seeds that were themselves probably genetically modified have been further genetically modified or have been augmented to something totally different in the case that it grows green mold or that it completely rots an entire field. And it's being made uh, to try and trick you know, small time farmers into utilizing these seeds by sending them through Amazon. It's a very, very curious uh, process at work here.
2: Yeah, I was. I was just gonna to that. Point, I was just gonna add. I mean, far be it for me, uh, as a humble anti-racist podcaster, to give any kind of you know advice to the great world Jewish power that is the United States. Uh, but you know, I would still say it would be prudent to when you have Chinese nationals coming into the country, what you really should be doing is giving them some kind of alphanumeric tattoos on their forearm to have them be identifiable because. You know, considering their names and the fact that you know one Chinaman is easily replaceable with another, uh, it's just not possible to keep track of them. So you need a, a way to, to, you know, put these, these entities into some kind of database and have a physical means of identifying them. Just, just throwing that out there. Yeah.
4: So eventually, it wound up that um, the FISA core got involved with this Mo Hai Long character. And they surveilled this guy uh, to the end of the earth and found that he's basically been involved in some manner of various agricultural schemes within the United States for a very long time. He lives down in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, If we have any (laughs) – If we have any Boca Raton, Florida residents, please do let us know if Mo Hai Long still lives down there.
2: Only Boca Raton residents that listen to us are the Mossad agents that have to keep track on it.
4: Exactly. (laughs) So apparently this went on for years, and I I just found it interesting, and I thought it would be something to top off the show with. Uh, It was a story that came and went, and – I was I was curious what what the hell happened to it? Uh, you know, are uh, we ever going to discuss the tens of thousands of mystery seeds from from uh, China? Well, apparently I mean, we this. What the hell is happened? I mean, China. this year has that's,
0: been a succession of stories, trumping one, one other time. stories. But well, not yeah, so good, that's a good that's a
2: good one. Point, and to all your guys' point, I mean, that is kind of the thing that to keep on with the theme of 2020, which is really beyond the pale i mean it it were the case of people who thought it couldn't really get any worse or any crazier getting all the much more worse and crazier in the span of a very short time and we can only really imagine the kinds of you know i mean it's it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet right now like america as for various foreign actors i mean
4: Well, this all just says something really funny about – because the FBI was alerted to these guys repeatedly like a dozen times because these fucking Chinamen, even though they were under surveillance, kept doing this, and farmers kept reporting them. So four months later, while the FBI was still looking into the Tama incident, which was another incident uh, with seed theft, a call came into the sheriff's office in Polk County, Iowa, with a report of three Asian males walking around a cornfield in Bondurant, just outside of Des Moines. Despite the strangeness of such a call, the responding deputy hurried to the field, approached the men, and took down their names. Mo Hylong Robert, Moe occasionally uses the alias Robert Moe. Wang Lai, uh, Lao. I love how it's just normalized
3: that every Chinese person in the U.S. has a fake name. Yes. If yeah, they go by hilarious. at least one.
2: Right. I mean, keep in mind though, like the FBI is right now far too preoccupied not arresting political terrorists or arsonists. So just understand that.
0: And, and declaring white nationalists the greatest threat facing the nation.
4: Yeah. So they eventually started tracking this asshole. That night, agents tracked Mo to a state dinner hosted by Iowa Governor Terry Branstad in honor of Xi Jinping, then the vice president of China and now the president. The next day, Mo and Wang went together to a sports bar near the hotel where they were staying in the Des Moines suburbs. They met up with Zhao Mingbao a Chinese seed executive and former DuPont Pioneer employee whose wife was employed by the company as a corn genetics researcher. Oh, God. FBI investigators could now demonstrate that Mo had, on two separate occasions, sought to obtain experimental seeds by collecting them from secret test sites and furthermore, it appeared he had gained the information about how to find those seeds by working with corporate insiders. The FBI also discovered that while he was in Iowa, mo had shipped hundreds of pounds of packages from a west des moines ups location to his home in boca raton the contents listed tracking as quote corn sample the theft of high performing corn seeds from a competitor's field is as old as the cultivation of corn and it kind of goes into the history of this and you know ultimately it ends up with uh all these farmers get really pissed off because like this is going unreported no one's talking about it the fbi is clearly aware of it keeps like finding a bunch of chinamen walking around random people's cornfields stealing things and uh, doing nothing about it the local sheriffs are getting angry um, so in april 2012 mo flew from his home in o'hare rented a car fbi surveillance team followed him as he drove along back roads through rural illinois and in northern indiana after about a week of this, Mo stopped one day at a farm near Moni, Illinois, advertising DuPont Pioneer seeds for sale. The farmer there later told the FBI that Mo had asked about what types of corn and soybeans he could buy, explaining he had purchased 40 acres nearby and was planning to plant the property. The surveillance team followed Mo to a farm about 15 minutes west of Moni where a review of property seed records soon revealed King's Nower Seeds had purchased a parcel only $600,000 the month before. As agents watched Mo crisscross the Midwest, stopping at seed stores to inquire about different products, they began to suspect that he planned to plant the Illinois acreage by hand. Ultimately, this whole story just kind of, it's never ending, but I think what you can learn, going back to an earlier discussion here, guys, And to our listeners, the FBI basically watched this man commit intense amounts of corporate political and and political espionage on a massive scale across multiple states and did nothing. This man could have easily been detained at any point. He could have been interrogated. He could have had the book thrown at him. The FBI could have done what they've done to people who have been convicted of far less
2: yeah, well, like, if you're an Amish and you're, you know, selling your raw milk at the local yuppie market, you come home to find the SWAT team, you know, fucking, you know, hassling your wife.
1: Right. The so lesson here yeah, is yeah,
2: if yeah. you're going to
3: do crimes, yeah, you want to make it look like major international espionage.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
3: You want to, like, be sending cryptic uh, messages to, like, handlers that may or may not exist. And, I mean, how, like, I understand the myopia there is a little bit pervasive, but do you know how myopic you have to be to not notice that you've picked up a tail car in Iowa? Right. rural Iowa?
2: Right. It's hard to see the rearview mirrors out of your slants, though, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, there. So anyways, if, there if are you guys issues. want, to, for
4: the to the listeners, if you want the rest of this article, and it goes into the history of uh, the sort of espionage in the corn world, it goes back to the Soviet era. Highly recommend uh, "Corn Wars." It's in New Republic, and I know again, New Republic. Probably you guys are probably not a fan of that. And there's plenty of shitlib lib takes throughout this very long article, um, but it is interesting in light of the recent news that. More than likely, the FBI is aware of uh, many prevailing Chinese agricultural exploits, uh, is choosing to do nothing about them, and is choosing instead to browbeat you over uh, making conspiracies about wildfires and standing up for your rights in the face of a sort of phony pandemic.
1: I am a charger. That charges through the night Like an orange bolt of lightning Passing everything in sight I'm the best pal the Duke boy's ever had I'm thunder on the highway Looking bad, bad, bad I'm a knight Like the kind in shining armor With my polished body gleaming I'm a fighter and a charmer If trouble comes your way Just ask for me my friends all know me as a General Lee. I'm the General Lee A piston pumpin' steel belt of cavalry I'll never let you down when you're riding with me Buckle up and I'll show you what I mean Take a look back there Sirens blowing, red lights flashing everywhere We'll cross the field and we'll be running free. They'll eat us with compliments of me, the general lead. I'm a hero, and that's how I'll make you feel when you're riding shotgun with me. And the law is at your heels I'm glory bound But when the chase is done I'll take off through the mountains And have fun, fun, fun I've got style Tearing through the curves Let my flag wave proudly To the people that I serve I'm number one And I will always be The pride of the South They call the General Lee. I'm the General Lee. A pistol-pumping, steel-belted cavalry. I'll never let you down when you're riding with me. Buckle up, and I'll show you what I mean. Take a look back there. Sirens blowing, red lights flashing everywhere. I'll jump that pond and we'll be running free. And they'll go swimming compliments of me. The General Lee The General Lee General Lee